Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the seat and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a three-to-one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randall is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randall. A year ago at this time, Rockies prospect Ezekiel Tovar used the Arizona Fall League as a jumping-off point. And by September, he'd landed at Coors Field. Can top prospect Zach Veen do the same thing? This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, we ask MLB.com's Jim Callis to evaluate Veen's chances along with the rest of the club's top prospects. Is immediate help on the way? You'll have to listen to find out. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out Stoney'sBarandGrill.com. Well, Manny, the uh, Arizona Fall League season just got over. It coincided with the end of the World Series this year, and um, not all eyes were on it, but some very important eyes were on it, including our guest Jim Callis, who uh, probably didn't even watch the World Series, was too busy watching the Arizona Fall League. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing good, and, and I hope you guys are doing well. Happy Thanksgiving, and I, I did watch the World Series, but um, you know what? I, I, I missed Game 6 because I was flying back. I, I, I was home for most of the World Series, okay. but uh, my flight was delayed six hours, oh. so I did not land in time to watch the deciding game of the World Series or the Arizona Fall League Home Run Derby. I thought I was going to be watching the Home Run Derby at Sloan Park while watching the World Series on TV, I didn't get to watch either one of those. Although I did get to watch, I'm a Georgia grad. I did get to watch the Georgia Tennessee game in its entirety, which I did not think was going to happen if my flight had left when it was supposed to. So I guess it kind of worked out. Well, you can't get enough football this time of year. Even Manny. Yeah, I know Manny's big fan as we were talking about off air. So I thought it was interesting. We catch Jim up 
was we talked with Ryan Spielberg's last week about the Arizona Fall League, and he called it basically spring training. The, the, it's nice to see guys like Zach Bean do great in, in the Fall League. We'll talk more about him in a minute. But it, the level of competition, he, he compared it to the spring training. Would you agree with that or disagree? Well, I think Jim would be better able to answer that. But I think, yeah, in a sense, because, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing other prospects, right? So, I mean, yeah, yeah. in that sense, you're, you're, you're talking about the level of talent at, at spring training. But in, other, in another sense, it's actually, I guess you could say below that because it's all prospects. You know, you're not facing guys, even if they're getting one or two innings in, um, who are at the major league level. So, you know, you're playing with your peers, but the best of them. Yeah, I, I I get what Ryan's saying. I mean, I I'd say I don't take AFL or spring training stats super seriously. I, I want to see what the guys look like and and, and what they're doing. And, and both, I, I think there's, I'll buy that to some extent. I think in both cases, you have guys working on things, you know, where development maybe takes priority over winning. But at the same time, you know, five of the six teams in the fall league were in the playoff hunt going down to the final couple of days of the season, and I do think. That the majority of the guy, you you get a ring, you get some extra money if you win. I do think that the winning matters more to the guys than it does in spring training. You're not playing to make a team where that's your primary goal. So I think it's a little different. I, I will say, it pains me to say this. I, I love the fall league. I, I enjoy it. To me, it's the best parts of spring training without any of the worst parts. You, you get to watch mm-hmm. prospects. You get your run of the ballpark. But the tickets are cheap. It's easy to park. You interact with the players a lot more easily if you're a fan. You know, it's not huge crowds and all that. But as much as I like the fall league, and it's one of my favorite baseball events of the year, of, of any year, I thought last year, coming off the pandemic, was the worst pitching I'd ever seen in the fall league. It's, the hitters are always better than the pitchers, guys, because hmm. if the pitchers reach their innings limits, right. teams don't, don't want guys getting extra oh, innings. Yeah. If you're a hitter, there's nothing wrong with getting another 80 plate appearances like your no. Zach Fiend. Anyway, so anyway, I thought coming off the pandemic, when guys had, were, were taking extra care with pitchers, I thought last year was the worst pitching I'd ever seen in the fall league. And it was kind of like it was kind of like the postseason in the major leagues, the worst pitching we've <laughs> seen yeah, in a well, long time. I was going to say I thought that last year, and I thought the pitching was worse this year. So you, wow, I, I, I think okay. it's better competition than spring training in terms of guys are actually playing to win for the most part. There is some development going on, but. You just really have to take the statistics with a grain of salt because A, it's a small sample size, and B, the quality of the position players is a lot better than the quality of the pitchers. And I'll throw mm-hmm. one more thing out. I think a lot of guys, you know, like you do in the, in the minors, especially the lower minors, you're playing guys at, at positions, perhaps their most challenging position they could realistically play, but there's a lot of guys, you know, there's a lot of shortstops. I shouldn't say a lot of short. There's some shortstops who won't necessarily be shortstops, and there's center fielders right. who won't necessarily be center fielders. So it's not always the best defense being played behind guys as well. Now let's go. Let's let's jump to to Zach Veen because he's been the talk of obviously the town around here when we talk about prospects lately. Um, AFL Offensive Player of the Year. He's the, he you know three three four four three thirty three four forty four four forty four sixteen steals. Walked a lot more than he struck out. Um, what do you what did you uh, like about him? Obviously, you've been following him for a long time since he's one of the top prospects in the organization. But you know it's interesting that he is uh, you know his body type and his position and everything. You know he's he's um, he's been compared to Cody Bellinger, who just got uh, who just got non tendered and and is kind of a a small buzz around here about whether the Rockies might try him, but uh, tell us what what you what you saw from Zach uh, this year. 
Yeah, and I heard I had more than one scout give me that that Cody Bellinger uh, comp as well. He's kind of built along the way, well, the same lines as Cody Bellinger. Um, yeah, no, he had a really good fall league. You know, as you point out, he, like when I was saying before, like I take the statistics with a grain of salt. I'm more interested in how guys do what they do. And the the, the stat that that I think mattered the most was he walked 15 times and he struck out just eight times. Like he really controlled the strike zone well. He also he led the league in steals. It, it seemed like he ran every time he was on first base. I mean, 16 steals in the fall league. Yeah, yeah, in 21 games. That's 21 games. Crazy. 16 for 18. Did, did the, now, man, did, did the Rockies have a guy steal 16 bags this year? I don't know if the Rockies as a team stole Tempest? 16 bags. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know he stole 50. I'm sorry, he stole 55 in the minors, including, you know, 50 for 54 in high A. Um, you know, and, you know, with some of the rule changes that are coming, I think we're going to see some steals increase. You know, I, I will say, I thought he was like a solid runner in high school. He's a better runner. He he He's quicker than I thought he was coming out of high school. And he likes to use the speed. He likes to be aggressive. He's aggressive, taking extra bases also. You know, I, I think... You know, like he did during the regular season, I think the hitting ability stood out more than than the the power in games. But you know, there's power in there. You know, and he he got the Bellinger comp because it's the same build. You know, he he looked pretty good in center field. He might be able to play there. I know, I know. You know, obviously in Denver, it's, it's a huge, yes. you know, outfield, the hugest outfield in the big leagues, I believe. Yeah. Um, but he might be able to play center. I, I really like the fact that like he's worrying about hitting first, and the power will come. I mean, he's only 20 years old. You know, he'll be 21 in December. Um, you know, the, the Bellinger comp extended to, you know, he had trouble. Like if he showed a weakness in the fall league, didn't always do a good job of catching up to fastballs up in the strike zone, you know, because his, his swing can get a little uphill. But he, he's so also Cody young. Bellinger in 2017. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, but he's young enough to where I think he can make that adjustment. You know, it's not like, oh, it's this fatal flaw he can't correct. And, you know, like I said, he controlled the strike zone about as well. As anybody in that league, he, he, he's striking out eight times, you know, eight percent of his plate appearances against, you know, there can't be too many pitchers in that league who were younger than Zach Veen. It, it was pretty impressive. You know, I, we did a I did an Arizona Fall League top 30 prospects list. And, and Zach, I had fourth on that list behind Jordan Walker, who's kind of consensus number one in a pair of shortstops. But he was he was really impressive out there. Zach um, stole 16 bags and the Rockies uh, stole 45 uh, as a team in uh, 2022 so he basically in 21 games in the fall league stole uh, more than 30 percent of the rockies total uh for the season so from 162 games or 162 games so that's just just for for those who out there who obviously many of us know that the rockies didn't exactly tear up the base pads but that's quite a stat um so that's pretty good i mean that's 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 good to see um like you said jim the the rules changes are coming next year so you're gonna obviously ha- want to have guys who can who can take advantage of that aspect of the game with veen um the whole power will come later i'm worried about being a hitter right now how rare or not rare is that in this day and age where i feel like we're kind of now swinging back based on a lot of the people we talk to swinging back and bringing the pendulum back from the extreme sell out for power and the strike strikeouts be what they may to more of the contact type of thing. How, how, um, where does he rank on that? And, and how rare, if it is rare, right. These days to, is there to be a hitter that like that? I, I think it is rare for young guys. Cause it, it's funny. I mean, you talk to scouts and with hitters, they tell you they want guys who can barrel the ball and hit the other way and use the whole field and not swing for the fences. And yet, 
what do we like all the data explosion and we talk about hitters, you know, we're measuring exit velocity and how far they hit it, you know, like, like yep. that's what catches. I just like with pitchers, everybody's like, Oh, you know, we want pitchers to be able to command multiple pitches. And then like, we go to a showcase and what do we talk about the guy through 98, like, like yeah. that's just the way it is. So I, I think it is rare. And, and I, and I do think, you know, I, I think we'll see some of it come back because the thing is, you know, trying to launch balls and, and look, there's nothing wrong with trying to drive the ball in the air. But as you try to launch the ball more, you know, we've seen the pitchers adapt and the pitchers now are throwing balls at the top of the strike zone. Like I was saying earlier, if you yeah. have if you're swinging, if you're trying to swing, you know, at a more uphill angle to drive balls in the air and, and I'm throwing the ball at the top of the strike zone, it's harder to get to that ball. It, you know, obviously, if you throw low in the strike zone, you know, I can get under it and, and lift it a lot more easier. So I, I think it's a it's a give and take, you know, as you know, because it, it seemed like what, 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, like you wanted to keep the ball down. I mean, Mark, when you yeah, pitched, yeah. I mean, how, how you, keep, the ball down, keep the ball yep. down and then guys adjusted. And it was like, yep. well, when you keep the ball down, it's like they're taking golf swings and just yep. peeing off. And, and so pitchers adjusted and now nobody can catch up to the, to the fastball with the swings they have. And I do think we'll see, you know, just, I mean, again, it's, I think both sides adapt, the hitters are going to have to adapt and go to a more, I'm not saying they're just going to, everybody's going to, you know, chop down the ball or hit, you know, with a flat swing, but you're going to have to adapt and have a, a, a flatter swing relative to these extreme launch swings to catch up to balls up in the strike zone. So, yeah. We had, so yeah. had Spilly on the, on the, on the podcast last week, as we mentioned earlier, he, um he said something really interesting to me a couple of years ago. I was talking to Ian Desmond about the ground ball rate and he thought I was trying to kind of, um you know, spread the, the good news. Up spread the good news of the launch angle. I was just saying, I was just talking to him about what he thought about it because obviously launch angle is something that is a huge um, element to the, to, to hitting now. So later spill is like, until we figure out his launch angle is the angle off of the bat. And it's not the angle of the swing. The, the ter- terminology refers to the angle off the bat. So until we break the strike zone into sectors and teach guys how to swing, to get the, uh, desired launch angle in each of those sectors what are we really even doing and and like you said jim if it's you know you can it's a lot easier to do that on a low pitch than it is on if you're one two and they keep doing the l you know the strategies elevate you know the fastball it's gonna it's gonna kill you and so that's really interesting because i think it's gonna have to be kind of a an amalgamation right it's gonna have to be kind of a mix of everything uh to to get balance i guess back rather than what we've had and I know Mark's got a lot, a lot of feelings on that, and I, and we've had some uh, people on this podcast who have a lot of feelings on that. But uh, go ahead, Mark. Well, I, no, I, I agree. In fact, best pitching coaches I, I've ever had, and sort of a guy named Cal McLeish, who, who obviously you guys know from the history books, yeah. used to talk about the six elements to pitching. Um, he wasn't a keep the ball down all the time guy, but he was like, okay, you got to work up, down, in, out, hard, soft. If you can master those, you're gonna you're gonna get everybody out. I mean, only maybe some a handful of guys have ever mastered all all those elements. The game that can't survive with pitchers doing just one thing or hitters doing just one thing, there has to be you have to be able to do multiple things. You have to be able to adapt to what the other guy's doing to you. If he's gonna be pitching up, you gotta learn how to handle that pitch. So I I get that. I think what Billy said made a lot of sense, and I think that fall maybe less in love with the numbers because the numbers have taken over the game recently. If we fall a little bit less in love with the numbers and, and, and look at the way Jim's talking about where we don't necessarily look at the stats. We look at how, they, how we arrived at those stats. What are they doing to arrive at those stats? Are they adapting to circumstances? Are they, you know, doing things? Maybe, maybe the situation calls for you to hit the ball the other way at some point rather than trying to hit a home run. That's what I think everybody wants to see the game get back to. Yeah, I would, I would think so. And Jim, is it, is it fair to say that that is on the upswing in, in the, uh, 
in the developmental stages here within different organizations that they're because somebody told us that who who had been part of an organization a, a hitting instructor that there's an underground movement at the major league level to bring back the, the contact you know the contact first kind of mentality to some degree but they just don't want to be outed as you know have are doing that because they don't want everybody else to catch on where it's like everybody's probably working on it in the yes. developmental uh, stages uh, of the game in the in the in the farm systems. Do you see that kind of also happening potentially? I mean, I think teams would like it, but I think ultimately it's going to come down to: Are you going to reward it? Because who gets paid? Yeah. Like it, right. it's the guys yeah. who hit home runs, and yeah. you know the guy who hits. You know, if you have a guy who hits, I mean, I'm just generalizing here: 300, but he just focuses on going. You know, not that everybody does the same thing all the time, but let's say a guy focuses on making contact and using the whole field and not worry about driving the ball. And he hits 300, but he slugs 450. Who gets paid more? The guy who hits yeah. 250 and maybe, you know, I mean, again, if you slug, it's hard. It's, I, I can just draw numbers. But yeah I, yeah, I think teams are trying to teach that. You would like that. You know, you I like a team that, that, that signs a lot of guys like that. Their big league club does it is the Guardians. But the flip side of that is. It's so hard to hit. It's so hard to make contact. Even it's if what happened to, to the Guardians in the in, in in the postseason, right? Yeah. I mean, well, and that's what not... I was going to say. You get yeah. you get to the postseason, and how many times you're going to string together? And I know I'm generalizing here again. Five or six hits in an inning, like you know, like the Guardians don't ha- didn't have. I think they had the least power of any team in the postseason. They got through a round, but then eventually caught up to them. So, yeah, I think. You know, it comes down. To, you need it all. It's all moderation. I don't want a team yeah. of all guys who are trying to crush the ball yeah. apart. Exactly. But I also can't have a team kind of like the Guardians, which it worked during the regular season. But I think playoff baseball is a totally different animal, yeah. where the quality competition is so much better. Where you know, it's all hey, we're contact hitting team. Well, there's times where you need to be able to hit the three run homer. So, and again, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens on the free agent market. But it, it seems like it's the guys who drive the ball who get paid. And I mean. Not to go down another rabbit hole, but like I, I'm still not convinced that this, you know, these these shift change rules. I, st- you know, to me, I don't know how that helps guys who are swinging for the fences make more contact. Yeah. And I think these sluggers who swing for the fences all the time. I'll, I'll, Joey Gallo is one who always comes to mind. If you shift less, is that going to make Joey Gallo swing for the fences less? I don't think so. So you're still going to have guys taking huge no. swings, and I'm not sure but we're going to have more contact next. But it's going to reward guys who don't swing for the fences more it's gonna right. i think it's gonna balance down a little bit so you know, you're not gonna change those guys joey gallo is never gonna change but charlie blackman and ryan, ryan mcmahon here in denver are gonna flourish without, without the shift i mean they had dozens of hit, hits each taken away by grounding out to the right fielder so you know who you know who would have made a fortune in this in this day and age who was just before his time and, and it came up on twitter and that's why i bring him up and because it's the same topic adam dunn was just a man before his time 237 yeah. 364 490 that was his career line with yeah. 462 home runs. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's you're just, right. You're right. He made a fortune back then. You know, he was a guy that, yep. you know, there were, he was seen it was as a liability because he made, he struck out too much. Efficient hitter, but liability these... It's not now. I mean, I want to take this back to Zach Veen for a minute. Uh, um, Jim, I want to ask you, cause we talked with Spilly about this. Uh, uh, the Rockies, as you know, the Rockies have a big giant hole in center field. I saw some things, Manny, this week on Twitter about war and how the Rockies projected war in center field is worst in all of baseball going into next season as of, as things stand right now. Um, it's a big hole. Uh, it's a really big hole because how big center field is. Um, we've talked about, the, yeah, bigger hole. Yeah. we've talked, there's a lot of talk around here about Rockies going after Brandon Nimmo. Manny brought up Cody Bellinger, who's only 27. I didn't realize that he's, he's two years younger than Nimmo. You know, I've obviously talked about Andrew and cheaper. 10 day and cheaper. So, but then Zach Veen's hanging out there in the, in the shadows. Zach Veen's a guy who 
nobody thinks he's going to make the team in spring training, but next August, next September, is he ready to come up here? And if so, if you're the Rockies general manager, does that change how you look at that center field position going into this year where you're probably not going to contend? Not really, because that outfield's so big. You know, if you have two guys capable of playing center field, they're going to get the balls that other corner outfielders, you know, won't if you wind up playing one of them on the corner. And, you know, as much as I like Zach, you know, he had a good year in high A, really struggled in double A. So, like, he still has to prove himself he in double A. He struck out a lot. Hit 177. Right? Yep. Struck yeah. out in about a third of his at bats. Hit one homer in 34 games. And, you know, he again, like I said, he's going to be 21 next season. Like, he right. still has to prove himself in double A, still has to prove himself in triple A. I don't see how the Rockies are going to contend next year realistically. So, I, I, I would look at it like I'm not worrying about Zach Veen in 2023 realistically. And again, if I go out and sign, like, I think Nimmo is going to be hard for them to sign because I think yeah. everybody wants Brandon Nimmo and he's like yeah. somebody's going to throw more money at him and a better chance to win. And let's be real, like Cohen, Cohen can. Like he can just throw, he could throw money at him yes. and be like, just stay. Or the Yankees you know? could do it too. Or and the Yankees, like, yeah. It seems like every team, like every contender, you all, you hear him. So, but you know, could you see Bellinger? You know, I could. I mean, I think, you know, Bellinger is going to have a lot of interest. You so, know, Benintendi. Yeah. You know, again, again. A contact guy, not a, yeah, not a power guy. But, but the problem, you know, like I just, I don't know if A, the Rocky, like with free agents, you know, it seems like most of the time, nine times out of 10 or more, you go to whoever pays you the most money, plain and simple. Yep. And if yep. you aren't doing that, you're going to wherever you have, you, maybe you have a chance to win, or maybe it's your hometown team or whatever. I don't see the Rockies being, you know, in that top tier of teams that are going to pay big. And I don't see the Rockies being a really viable contender next year. So I don't know that they're going to, honest, unless you like really overpay for a guy or you're the only team that's willing to go to a certain level for a guy that you're going to necessarily be that attractive to free agents or at least the best free agents. Riley Pint, really interesting because he retired and um, in 2021 and he was back and he got back and he got to AAA uh, last year. So, and, and now the Rockies are protecting him on the, on the 40 man. What happened with him? I, did, I mean, he got his fastball back, I guess. But like, I mean, how how did that all go down? Yeah, you know, I, I think I don't know that it was ever really a question of your stuff. I mean, it could it could it could fluctuate at times with Riley, you know, who was, you know, the number four pick in the 2016 draft. It was just a matter of strikes. Like, you yeah. know, even, you know, I, I don't think this got this ruined him per se. But the Rockies didn't have a complex league team back in the day. And their high school kids would have to go to the Pioneer League against more advanced competition. And it's and that place was a launching pad. And so he Just struggled damages there. Your psyche, doesn't it? Yeah. And so like he got, you know, had a five three five ERA and walked guys because you know, you're not you're maybe a little resistant to challenge guys. And then in 17, it was kind of more the same in Asheville, which, again, is not an easy place to pitch. And he didn't have pinpoint control. And then his control just fell apart, you know, to the point where I think the year before he retired, well, in in 19, what, he walked, I think, 31 guys in 18 innings. And it just, I I think it was as much, you know, or more mental than physical. And, you know, and look, I mean, he didn't pound the strikes on this year exactly with 31 walks and, and 46 innings, but didn't give up a lot of hits. He threw a lot of strikes. You know, I think you have a reliever in there. You know, he, he's going to have to throw more strikes, but I just think he's, yeah, I think he's even said he's in a better place mentally. Um, and, and we'll see what they can salvage out of the pick. I mean, to be, I mean, he's going to have to throw a lot more strikes to be a closer. I mean, he still walked six guys per nine last inning, but it was an improvement over the, over the past. And, 
you know, again, you know, we'll, we'll let's see where he develops next year. I mean, you look at what the Rockies did with Daniel Bard, who kind of went through something similar, um, yeah. you know, pretty amazing comeback for Daniel Bard, who he'll look, I mean, he had success at the big league level that Riley never did, but, you know, I mean, Daniel's come back and I mean, shoot, he got MVP votes this year. Yeah, unbelievable. So and, he got, he got at least one. We know he got, we know of one. one he got. Yeah. One. <laughs> so. No, we're not sure why, but that's a whole nother um, story. I, I wonder though, if Riley Pint had been drafted by a different organization, if he wasn't a Bill Schmidt guy from way back, would anybody give him another shot? Did he did he do the, enough to to um, earn an opportunity if he wasn't a Rocky draft pick in the first place? Yeah, I think so because I, you know Riley throws in the upper nineties, so I think those guys are always going to get shots. Even like you know, I mean, it only takes one team to draft you. So you, you know, I'm not, but I do think given how teams draft today. Given how teams, you know, like I was saying before, you know, they're infatuated by the rare gun, but you're looking for guys who can, you know, command multiple pitches. I don't, you know, think he would have gone as high, but I still think O'Reilly Pint, showing what he showed in high school, still would probably be a first round pick or at worst a second round pick. You know, if you could touch the upper 90s and throw a slider in the upper 80s, you're going to get chances. So, yeah, I, I think he would have. Moving over to another outfielder. Um... Brenton Doyle, uh, kind of an interesting batting profile. He struck out 158 times in 123 games at Double A. Did get himself up to Albuquerque. He hit 23 homers though at at Hartford. Not a lot so, of Rockies guys have done that because that, that that's the one place in their system that's hard. Yeah. To get. So I think there was some sort of a swing adjustment or something. He said, and what is is that power? It seems for real, but you you all, you do time to time see guys come up here and they 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 don't do they don't they don't replicate that. So. Um, what do you see in uh, Brenton Doyle? Well, I think you touched on kind of the the pros and cons of Brenton Doyle. I mean, he's a pretty good athlete. He can run a little bit too, but you know, he's got you know plus raw power. It's just is he going to hit you know get hit consistently hey, enough to get to it? I mean, he struck out over thirty percent of the time in the minors. He's he was twenty four, so he wasn't exactly young for Double A. You know, but I, I think he's the type of guy who who probably gets a look at some point in twenty twenty three, and it, it's going to come down to can he make enough contact? And, you know, when he does, he can be very dangerous. And when he doesn't really struggle. So it's, I mean, realistically with him, if you're trying to project what he's going to be, I'd probably say more fourth outfielder than everyday guy. Okay. Um, you know, if I had to say, but he's, he's intriguing and there, I mean, there, there's plus raw power and there's solid speed and, you know, but he, I mean, not only did he strike out a bunch, Manny, I mean, you were reading off, he only walked 28 times last year too. Yeah. Like, I mean, his OBP was like an even 300. Yeah, like, but when you when you're striking out six times as so much as you walk, and that's in Double exactly. A, the mm-hmm. pitchers do get better at Triple A yeah. in the big leagues. So sure. we'll see. But I, I think you'll see him in Colorado at some point this year, and he is kind of interesting. After the last draft, the Rockies farm system rankings that we talked about last year at this time being very low took a big jump up. Uh, obviously, quantity is as important as quality in that circumstance. But of the guys they just draft, any of them? Do you appear to be really on the fast track to get here, or are they long all long term projects? Or maybe, well, or maybe you can tell us just kind of how they performed in their first taste, you know, yeah, of Pro Bowl. It, yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, they they went heavy college, so I think you know, with the with the three picks they had in the top thirty eight picks before the second round, they went all college. So I, I think they are hoping to get guys who can contribute quickly. Um, you know, they got Gabriel Hughes was was the first pick at tenth overall, and that was somewhat of a signability deal. I mean, he was a legit first rounder. I, I just didn't necessarily think he was going 10th. I mean, he only pitched three innings in his debut. A lot of the college pitchers across baseball coming out of the draft, you know, high picks didn't pitch, but 
I mean, you're talking about a guy who could have a plus fastball and a plus slider. You know, he, I think he might even throw a little bit harder. He can, he can get the slider up to 90, the fastballs up to 97, 98. He's got feel for a changeup. So he's a three pitch guy and throws strikes. You know, Jordan Beck is interesting. I mean, he's super athletic outfielder. You know, he gets a lot of Hunter Renfro comparisons. They were both SEC guys, both these physical corner outfielders. He might be able to play center. You know, he was in the same outfield at Tennessee with Drew Gilbert, who's the Astros first round pick, who was a better center fielder. And, you know, Beck's a potential, you know, 25, 25 guy, maybe 30, 30. If he's aggressive on the base pass, he came in and had a, had a really strong debut. You know, I think the, the question with him is he can overswing a little bit. He, he toned down the approach some this year, but it's going to be that consistent contact. And he almost walked as much as he struck out in his debut this year. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw both him and Hughes in double a at some point this year. And then probably the same thing about their other guy they took in the sandwich round, Sterling Thompson, who's an outfielder. He's less athletic than Beck, but he's got a really polished approach. He draws walks. He works counts. I think it's going to be hit, hit over power, but I think he could be, you know, like a solid to plus hitter with average power. Um, it may, it may be a little bit better than that. So, um, I think all three of those guys could move pretty quickly, you know, as opposed to their second round pick, Jackson Cox, who's kind of a high upside high school pitcher had one of the best curveballs in the draft. Um, you know, he'll be on a slower path, but I think Hughes Thompson and Beck are all guys who, who could move very quickly in their system. Um, I was talking to Bill Schmidt for a story the other day, and he's very good, as you know, keeping his cards close to his vest. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. To say that, to, to be, to say the least, it, this, it just kind of, from the outside looking in, it seems like the Rockies are kind of on this, in this place where it's like, hey, let's see what the kids can do. You know, realistically, we're not, you know, they'll never say that, but they're not, they're not really looking at being a playoff contender. So do you, so realistically, it feels like this is a, let's see what the kids do in the next two or three years. And then let's see what we can do to build around that. Again, this is just, I know it's a, it's a really broad question. You ask managers these questions about their big league team. They just won't answer it no matter what you ask them (laughs) uh, with respect to this. But the question, real quick, real quick. I think most Rockies fans would be okay with that, don't you? If well, yeah, and and and, and really, what I'm asking Jim here is, what do you think that the kids will will do in, in two to three years? If we're having this discussion two to three years from now, revisiting what it was like in 2022 in the in the offseason of 2022, will they be in a position to start maybe just needing a few pieces that are in pieces here and there to actually start making things look pretty good? Well, I mean, I don't think they have a lot of guys ready to step in right now, so I think realistically, and again, I mean, I don't work for the team. So I, right. I mean, I could say it's like, like you said, the team's never going to come out and say like, Hey, we probably can't really compete the next couple of years. But I think realistically 2023 should be about acquiring as many potential assets as you can, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. trades, draft international, you know, coach some guys up, develop them up, do that. And then I think 2024, right. you start to see some of those guys in Colorado and then you're hoping by 2025, you know, you, you could start to win again. I, I think the biggest issue, one, in general, it's always hard to pitch. It's always been hard to have pitching in course Field just because of the way the park plays. But if you look at how their system stacks up, it's predominantly position players. You know, I mentioned Gabriel Hughes. You know, probably their second, you know, and Jackson Cox are probably two of their best pitching prospects. And, like, the other guy who might be in that mix is Jaden Hill, you know, who they drafted coming off Tommy John surgery in 2021. I mean, th- th- that's ultimately going to probably be when they realistically contend again yeah. is when can they put together 
you know, a rotation with some depth. I mean, you can, you could do your bullpen wise, you can kind of strike lightning in a bottle, you know, if things go well, but you know, from a, a rotation standpoint, you know, behind Marquez and Freeland and, you know, do you get to the point where, you know, as they approach free agency or, or, you know, you, if your team struggles, you know, and you had, you, you trade them, but like I, that, that to me is the biggest question is the pitching depth. I mean, I know they have Freeland signed, I think through what 26, yeah, the 27 vesting option, but you know, Marquez is, I, I guess for two more years, he's got team option for 24, but like if they look at it in 2000, like, let's say they really struggle this year. Maybe somebody will give you three or four players for Marquez if he has a really good year. So right. th- th- that's going to be the key for me is, you know, how are they going to come up with the pitching? Like, you know, we've seen most of their top picks in recent years, you know, have been hitters. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, you know, they're, they're going to have to do more work pitching wise. Cause even, I mean, look, I like Hughes. I like Cox, you know, Jane Hill's intriguing, but nobody like almost never do you take your top three pitching prospects and all three of those guys are as good as you hope. I mean, right, like, pitchers are just tough. So th- that's going to be, I think the biggest issue is how do they put together pitching staff? I mean, you know, when they've had success, they've had deep pitching staffs, you know, maybe yeah. their stats aren't as pretty because the course field, but like, that's always kind of been but they the get key to their success is when they've Absolutely. had pitching, they've contended. And they've had um, to go out and make trades to make that work. You know, Marquez came in a trade. You can't just yeah, draft right. all these guys. We, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast. Uh, it's shocked me to find to realize that out of any given draft, really only two guys you, you can expect to make your big league team out of any. Or at least be contributors, be like yeah, real exactly. contributors. Yeah. So, um, so you got to make trades, and they've just been unwilling to do that. I, I hope that yeah. that is something they're willing to change. What about the uh, just really quickly because uh, we're we're running low on time, but the international market, the I, the Rockies. We've, we've seen the fruit a little bit of that with Ezekiel Tovar and um, Elias Montero, Montero. Um, yeah. but obviously Montero wasn't theirs. But um, what is there, is there, what's coming behind them uh, from the international market? Yeah, I mean, I think after Tovar, like they're probably their best international prospect is another shortstop, a kid named Adele Amador, who uh, is really intriguing. He had a nice year. In uh, it still is weird to me. All the California league teams are low A. Like I still haven't yeah. adjusted that. But he had he had 15 homers. He had 26 steals. He walked more than he struck out as a as a 19 year old in um in low A. So he's he's super interesting. I think that's the guy. Hmm. Like like more than all, you know, they have a kid named Warming Bernabel who he struggled in the fall league, but he's got a chance to hit for some average and power. And he had a really nice year. But he had two Class A stops. He had three thirteen. He had fourteen homers and twenty three steals. By the he, way, the most disappointing thing about Warming is that he's not a pitcher. I really wish yeah, that exactly. Was, I was going to be like, Warming is Warming. Man. I knew you were going. I was going to. I know. You don't even say that, man. You could just say he's Warming. Yeah, and, and, he's Warming. You're right. So he's interesting. Well, maybe yeah. he can be a position player pitcher at some point. And we can, but they're not going to be Warming. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like yeah. So I don't Anyhow. know. I, I don't know how you handle that. But yeah. So those are probably their next two best guys. Okay. Well, well it, you heard I mean, it here first because Jim Callis is the one who, tur- who turned us on originally to Ezekiel Tovar. Tovar. Yep. He was so we, good in the yeah. fall league last year. And yeah, you if you remember on. when we talked about it, yep. it was funny because he really struggled in the fall league. Like, I don't think he did much at all, but I think I saw like him hit two. I, I mean, maybe he hit three home runs, but I saw one or like a couple of his homers. I saw him play great in the field. Like, basically, I think I saw Tovar play three times. And I saw something like 75% of the hits he had in the fall league. It was crazy. Because I remember talking to our colleague, Manny Jonathan Mayo. He was doing our AFL prospect list last year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, hey, you know, I'll tell you who looked really good to me. Like, you got to get, I think you got to get Ezekiel Tovar on there. And Jonathan's like, 
you know how he played in the fall league? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like how he played in the fall league? He played great. And Jonathan's like, no, he hit 161. And I was like, oh, well, he hit about 461 on the days I saw him. So, um, but yeah, no, that was. Well, I it was goes to your point about the stats adopted, in the fall league so. and how you're looking for what you're looking for what your eyes are seeing, right? And Rockies, yeah, fans, exactly. Rockies fans would invite you to come to every home game now with that kind of influence you have, because that's going to be the starting shortstop for this team. You know, this team, Jim, I know this. Late in the season, they play in San Diego. I think it was on the last homestand. Started an entire infield of rook- rookies, and had they put Brian Servin behind the plate that day, the pitcher and the catcher were both going to be rookies as well. Ryan Feltner was pitching, so they are committed to the youth movement. Let's just see how committed, right? Yeah, I mean that's what they have to do right now. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, I mean, if I'm a fan, I mean, yeah, you'd like him to go out and sign Nimmo or whoever, but like, if the Rockies go out and throw hundreds of millions of dollars of free agency. Maybe they're a 500 club next year. I don't think they're exactly. going to go from 68 wins to like 98, but you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I do think, you know, the, the patient approach is the way to go and let the kids play and, and find out exactly what you have. Hey, Jim, we're going to let you go. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks, yeah, Jim. you too. Happy right, Thanksgiving, guys. Take care. Manny, come back and close this thing out. Done. All right. We'll be right back. It's Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, Look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. How will the Rockies look in a couple of years? Like at this time in 2025, is this a team on the verge of contending? As our guest on today's podcast, the great Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline noted, This is probably not a team that is going to contend for the postseason at the major league level next season. So what should it do to create a new window of opportunity? Well, a lot will depend on how the kids play. Will Michael Toglia keep rising now that he's reached the majors? What will we be saying about Ezekiel Tovar in 2025? That he's the team's everyday shortstop or perhaps even an all-star? Or that his minor league brilliance in 2022 was just a flash in the proverbial pan? What about Elujuris Montero? Will he become a 30-homer guy by then? What about the youngsters behind them? Jim mentioned Adael Amador, the club's number three prospect, another shortstop rapidly on the rise. And then, of course, there's AFL Offensive Player of the Year and the Rockies' number one prospect, Zach Veen. And another outfielder showing big power, though with a ton of strikeouts, Brenton Doyle. Since minor league talent reaching the big leagues can be so unpredictable, it's simply going to take time to see what the Rockies really have before they can formulate a concrete strategy for the future. The difference this offseason is they actually have hope in the farm system. That's better than no hope for the big league club and a minor league system ranked in the bottom 10 of baseball. That's progress, and it gives Colorado something to potentially build upon after a period characterized by an exodus of stars and years of losing baseball. Manny slams the door, and this episode is in the books. Our thanks to MLB.com's Jim Callis for sharing his expertise with us and his thoughts on the Rockies' immediate future. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.